Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. I love those words. As we head into a new year, we do not need to fear tomorrow, for our God will go before us and His grace will bring us home. The grace of God is a wonderful theme, and it's an encouragement to us as we head into a new year to remember God's grace. Grace is, of course, God's undeserved kindness to us. We did not deserve the kindness of God, the way that He chose to favor us. That's another word for grace. We didn't deserve it. And yet God put on display his character. Grace is about who God is. He is a God of grace. And he chose to bestow upon us his kindness, his favor. And he did it through the work of his son. So you're going to see as we work through this text today, the beautiful grace of God. How God put his kindness on display. And then we will begin to understand that As we know and believe in God's grace, it leads us to live a certain way. It leads us to respond in showing that same favor and kindness to others around us because that's how he treated us. So be encouraged today by the grace of God. We've all felt that tug in our hearts, that resistance to showing kindness or or grace to others. This time of year, in fact, can often be that way as we come to the end of the year. We've just come through Christmas and maybe you've spent a lot of money on gifts and uh, kindness to others and you're looking at your finances as you prepare for the new year and it's kind of like, oh man, things are tighter than I expected and are we going to be all right? We got to tighten the belts a little bit as we head into the new year. It's difficult to even sense God's grace this time of year. Are things going to be okay in 2024? Dare I say it's an election year. Sorry to bring that up. God's grace is greater than all the things we might fear or wonder about or look to the future with question marks, unsure of what will come. God's grace is unchanging. It's rooted in who he is. And you didn't receive the grace of God because you deserved it. He gave you grace when you didn't deserve it. And so it's sure. And headed into seasons of the unknown or of change, God's grace is a bedrock for us. And it helps us. Our giver, God the Father, is the source of all grace and generosity and kindness and favor. And he's put it on display in his son and he puts it on display in his church. People who have sensed the grace of God in their lives and become a giving people because of his grace in us. So let's consider today how it is that God's grace compels us to give. God's grace compels us to give. We're in the book of 2 Corinthians and you've probably figured out it's a book written to 
the Corinthians, the people who lived in Corinth. Having studied the book of Acts recently together as a church, you may remember the times that Paul visited Corinth and helped that church to be established and to grow. Uh, He wrote two letters to them, at least two that we have in the New Testament. There may have even been a third letter that he wrote to them. They faced a number of issues uh, that Paul had to help them through. One of the things he encouraged them to do was to be a generous church. In one of his visits, he encouraged them to help meet needs in the church in Jerusalem. You may remember talking about this a little bit as we worked through the book of Acts. Paul had sort of this project. The church in Jerusalem was suffering. They were poor and facing difficulties. And so Paul collected money from the different churches around the area to send them a gift. And one of his journeys was actually to deliver that gift to Jerusalem. He writes about that gift in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which we're not in that passage today, but for further study sometime, you can look at chapter 16 of the book of 1 Corinthians, and verses 1 through 4, he encourages them to take up weekly collections in order to help the Jerusalem church. And this is uh, part of the reason that today we have uh, an offering box available in this sense of uh, setting aside money for the Lord on a regular basis, giving it all is rooted in God's grace. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is encouraging them to complete what they had already started. But you're going to notice something really interesting. You know, this is not a passage where Paul is just leaning in and, and sort of manipulating them to give and pulling on their heartstrings and all of these things. In fact, he points out a number of times this is not a command. Actually says those words. You may remember it when we read through it. (laughs) This is just my advice. I think it'd be advantageous to you to be generous the way the Lord has been generous to you. Uh, And I love that about it. It's all rooted in God's grace. This is not a pressure passage. It's not a manipulative passage. It's just Paul reminding them of God's kindness to them in their lives. So how is it that God's grace compels us to give? Well, number one, we're going to notice today that God's grace produces rich generosity. God's grace produces rich generosity. In the first five verses, he'll make application in the sixth, but in the first five verses, the Apostle Paul actually just describes what God's grace looks like in other churches. He points out the churches of Macedonia. And and the word church is in the plural in uh, chapter 8, verse 1. He says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed upon or given to the churches of Macedonia. This probably would have included the church of Philippi, you remember studying them, the church in Berea, the church of Thessalonica, those were some of the churches in the Macedonian region. There may have been others involved as well, but different local churches. And the Apostle Paul saying is that God's grace had been given to these churches, bestowed upon these churches. But he goes on to describe that grace, he describes it as generosity, which is really interesting that generosity among the believers is actually rooted in God's grace, God's help, God's favor, God's kindness. So Paul's saying, here's how the grace of God showed up. It showed up in generosity in the churches of Macedonia. Now, notice how he describes this generosity. Verse 2 
He says, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now that's an interesting statement and you're gonna see how surprising it is as we break it down. The first thing he points out is that they're in this great trial of affliction. Now, we we don't know exactly what affliction is. An easy guess would be that it was some kind of persecution against Christians. And so whatever kind of persecution they're facing probably affected their finances as well because we're told they're not just facing poverty, which was common in the region of Macedonia. They're facing what Paul calls deep poverty. So this is this trial of affliction, some kind of persecution that's resulting in deep poverty. So they don't have much. They don't have much. But do you see what else Paul pointed out in verse 2? They have an abundance of joy. And, And there's this strange combination that Paul makes. He says, there's this abundance of joy and their deep poverty together abounded in the riches of their liberality. Their joy combined with their poverty to result in generosity. Now that final phrase is especially interesting. He says, it abounded in the riches of their liberality. What Paul calls richness here is not actually money. The substance that is rich is actually their generosity. Paul is saying, look, they were, they were in poverty. They didn't have any. I mean, you know, they, yes, they gave, but it wasn't much. Jerusalem's not really going to feel it. Where they're rich is in their generosity. What he's pointing out is that the virtue of generosity, the virtues of Christ, the, the grace of God, evidence in their life, that's true riches. And in the midst of their deep poverty, their, their joy in the Lord combined with having nothing produced true riches among them, and that is generosity. So it wasn't about their wealth. It was about their hearts, that these people in their trial of affliction, in their poverty, displayed the grace of God in a rich way by being a generous people. How cool is that? to see God's grace at work among them. And I love that Paul points out, this is not that they're just a really special people. This is just what God's grace does in the life of his people. God's grace bestowed upon these churches resulted in rich generosity in the midst of their deep poverty. Joy and a heart to give. So, Paul goes on to describe what this rich generosity looked like in verses four and five. And you're gonna notice four specific things about their generosity. I'll try to point them out quickly so we can keep moving here. The first thing we notice about their generosity, the first evidence of their generosity comes in verse three. And we're told there that they gave according to their ability and even beyond their ability. Now, we've already been told that they didn't have much. And so, you know, the size of their gift was likely very small. The point of this whole passage is not that this was this massive gift that would finally, you know, set Jerusalem in order and they'd be okay, the saints would be okay because of the huge Macedonian gift. No, Paul's actually pointing out the opposite. It was in proportion to what they had, which was very little. So it's a small gift. Paul does say even beyond their ability. And so this involves sacrifice. In the midst of their deep poverty, they sacrificed to help others. So this was uh, uh, beyond even their ability. Their poverty was not an excuse to hold back. 
The second evidence of their generosity is also there in verse 3, and it's that they were freely willing. Paul didn't put pressure on. Uh, He wasn't trying to coerce them into giving. There wasn't some persuasive tactics that he used. They just wanted to do it. It was their free choice. In fact, their willingness was so strong that in verse 4 we read that they actually urgently implored Paul to receive the gift. And I think we would be right to imagine the Apostle Paul doing something like the following. Whoa, 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 guys. I mean, that's so generous of you. Very kind, very kind. I mean, I see God's grace at work among you, but you, just, you, got, you have nothing. You keep it. You keep it. They'll be okay. Well, I'll raise money from other churches. It'll be fine. You keep what you have. And the text tells us that they urgently implored Paul to take the gift. No, we want to participate. We want to be a part of helping our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. You take it, Paul. Take it. And so he does. I mean, they are so committed to sharing the grace of God that they are urging Paul We tend to think of giving the other way around, right? That Paul had to be the one, you know, pulling it out of them, but it's actually the opposite. They're just desiring to be generous. No, Paul, take it to them. We want to participate. And I love the final phrase, that they would receive the gift of the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. There's a lot of uh, neat ideas in that phrase. The the word fellowship is a word you may have heard before, and it's participating together in a task. These Macedonian churches, they wanted to be a part of what God was doing to minister to the saints who had needs in Jerusalem. They were completely not focused on themselves and excited to help the other believers out. Verse five gives us uh, another evidence they made this an act of devotion to the Lord. Paul says, interestingly here, that they gave not only as they had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord. This is one of the keys of this whole section. This is about their relationship with God. God had bestowed grace upon them, and in response, they devoted themselves to God. Kind of this open-handedness that said, okay, Lord, you've given us grace, we're yours. We'll do whatever you want. We want to help. We want to show your grace to these other churches. And so we'll participate in this giving. They were devoted to the Lord. And so because of their devotion to God, verse 5 tells us that they also gave themselves to the apostles to serve and to help to follow the will of God. There's so many rich principles in this section of what God's grace looks like among the people of God. Hearts that are thankful, hearts that are full of joy, even in the midst of deep deep poverty, hearts that are ready to participate and meet needs to put God's grace on display. This is what God's grace does when it rules in our hearts. When we see the generosity of God toward us, his grace produces rich generosity in us. And so, in verse 6, Paul concludes by explaining why he's writing. He says, so we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Titus was likely the one who had initially taken this news to the Corinthian church to say, hey, there's a need in Jerusalem. Probably around the time that 1 Corinthians was written and that writing about the collections and so forth. And so now Paul is saying, we're sending him again 
The giving must have you know, slowed down or sort of died off among the church in Corinth. And so Paul's sending Titus to say, look, remember the grace of God and let that move you to complete what God had already worked in your hearts to do, to finish the task. This is not about the gift itself, but it's for their joy, for their grace, and for the reward that would come. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4.17, saying that he did not seek their gift, but he sought the fruit that abounds to your account. The Apostle Paul knew that it would be to their advantage to let God's grace work in them in this way. I remember the first time I experienced uh, poverty was not in my own life, Um, But when I actually visited another country, uh, could be classified as probably just a second world country, not even a third world country, but uh, visited some believers there in that country. And uh, the specific believers that were hosting us uh, were very poor, especially by American standards. Uh, They were going to be our hosts for our time there. So we stayed with them in their home with them. And it was the first time I'd experienced a home with dirt floors and uh, just bare concrete walls and so forth. Uh, But over the period of days that we were with them, they showed to us some of the richest generosity I've ever experienced. It wasn't extravagant in American terms. It wasn't like staying in a five-star hotel or anything like that. But what was clear was their heart to give. And I'll tell you what, that generosity had a greater impact on me than any five-star hotel ever will. Because their willingness to pour out their hearts, to give of what little they had to care for their fellow brothers and sisters, people they'd never met before except for that trip, and to sacrifice and to give out of hardly anything that they had, changed me. It showed me the grace of God, evident in their lives and in their hearts, And impressed upon me the importance of generosity, not at all about size of gift, but about the heart, about the heart. And this is, I think, exactly what's happening with the Macedonian church. The Apostle Paul is showing the Corinthian church what the grace of God looks like among the people of God. And that would have a far bigger impact on them than the size of the gift. You notice it's not even mentioned here. There's no mention of how much they gave or how big the gift was, probably because it was super small. What was huge was the impact of the grace of God in their lives, that their hearts were generous and willing. And that rich generosity is what Paul knew would show God's grace to the Corinthian church and impact their hearts as well. To be able to say, who cares the size of our gift? It doesn't matter. Let's just be a a generous people, people that are thankful for God's grace in our lives and ready to give to others. God's grace produces rich generosity. And again, the heart is what's important here. We get get so focused on numbers in our American culture, but grace causes us to think of the heart instead Where's my heart at? Am I thankful for God's grace in my life? And am I freely willing and even looking for opportunities to be a blessing to others, to fellowship in the ministry to the saints? This often begins for us by developing gratitude. Our American culture is one where where pride 
and entitlement and discontentment run rampant. And those attitudes creep quickly into our hearts as well. We begin to think we deserve the things we have. Well, I've worked hard for it, right? Shouldn't I be given more? We begin to expect some sort of payment or our rights or whatever we want to talk about there. But the grace of God reminds us we, we don't deserve anything but His wrath for our sin against Him. That's our lot in life. It, the picture of Jesus up on the cross is the picture of where you and I should be right now. But we're not there because of the grace of God. That when we did not deserve His kindness, He chose to love us and pour out His favor upon us. This must crush our pride and any sense of entitlement or rights and any sense of discontentment. We will forever be far better than we deserve. Forever. And so the grace of God has to move us to humility and gratitude. To be thankful to a God who has shown His kindness to us. This gratitude then develops in our hearts into grace-motivated generosity. It says, as God has been kind to me, so I want to show this kindness to others. We develop rich generosity by learning from, I think, the Macedonian believers and how God's grace showed up in their lives. That it's not about amounts. We give, yes, according to our ability and sometimes even beyond our ability. The point is that poverty doesn't hold us back. What we have doesn't hold us back. It's about a heart of generosity. Sometimes it's not even finances that are the ways that we give to people. We give time. We give thoughts. We give care. We give prayer. But hearts that are generous find ways to be a blessing to others. Let giving be your free choice, not by compulsion. This one can be tricky for us because sometimes as Christians growing up in a Christian culture, we have this sense that we feel like we have to give. Tracking percentages and how much am I supposed to do and what if people know how much I give or don't give and all of these things. And so then we begin to think, well, if I, if I am giving because I have to, it doesn't mean I have a bad attitude about it and maybe it'd be better not to give at all and... Now, the answer is that we, we, we change our attitude. It's not about amounts. It's not about having to. It's, it's about God's grace in our lives. We think again of the ways that he's been kind to us, that he's been benevolent to us. And so then we say back to him, Lord, I, I know I don't have to do this. I don't have to give. But I'm choosing to because... Even though sometimes I don't feel like it, I know that that's just selfishness in me. And I believe that your grace in my life is abundant. And I want to be generous. I want to pass that grace along to others. And I believe there is joy in giving. And so I freely choose to give. We always, of course, then want to make our giving about our devotion to the Lord and His will. It's not about pressure It's not about fear of man. It's not about what people think. It's just about an utter foundational devotion to what God would have me to do. Lord, what do you want? You're the one who's shown me grace. 
I want to put your grace on display. So use my life however you please. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, again, this is not a financial thing. What's our reasonable response of worship to the grace of God in our lives? That we present ourselves as living sacrifices. Lord, I'm fully devoted to you. Whatever you want, it's yours. So again, it's not about dollar amounts or projects or any of those things. It's just about what God has done for me and my desire to put his grace on display. God's grace produces rich generosity. In verses 7 through 11, the Apostle Paul then turns to the Corinthians. And what we're going to see here is that God's grace overflows in faithful generosity. Now the Apostle Paul is going to point out how God's grace has been at work among the Corinthian believers. Notice what he says in verse 7. But as you abound in everything, and then of course he goes on to point out what he's talking about. He says, in faith they've been abounding, so in their trust in the Lord and their understanding of the faith. Secondly, he says, in speech. This is, I think, their ability to share the message of the gospel. But not only that, he says, in knowledge, they're, they're growing to understand more and more and more about God and about his ways and about living for him. They're also bounding in diligence. They're working hard in life and in the Christian faith. Finally, he mentions in their love for them, for the apostles. But then he tells them this, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, that's an interesting phrase. He doesn't talk about giving specifically. He actually looks back to grace. I think it's the grace of God that caused all those other things to abound, their faith and their speech and knowledge and diligence. God's grace had been growing them in these ways. Now he says, I want you to abound in this grace as well. See, giving is not a thing in and of itself. It's actually just an evidence of the grace of God. It's grace to be giving. That's not rooted in, well, he's just a generous person. No, no, no. God's a generous God. And so when we see generosity, we're seeing the grace of God in people's lives channeled through his people to remind us of how gracious our God is. And it's the grace of God that overflows into faithful generosity. But different than the Macedonians, Paul's writing to the Corinthians actually to encourage them to complete what they had started. That word complete, what you have begun, is is used in verse uh, 6 already. Apostle Paul spoke of it there. And then he'll continue to mention it a number of times in the coming verses. You'll see it as we work through them. Now just to be clear, the Apostle Paul makes it known that this is not a commandment. Look at verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. That word testing means to to prove, right? So to look at something, to to scope it out, and to prove that it's true. It's like a scientific test, as it were. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I, I want you to show, to put on display that you are a loving people. I've seen it among you. Now show the grace of God. Put it on display by showing your love. So verse 9, he gives them another example of what this could look like. He points them here to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, he's already mentioned the grace of God showing up in their lives, but here he focuses in specifically on the gospel. And this is one of the more beautiful, succinct descriptions of the gospel in the New Testament. We sung it together in in the song, uh, Thou Who Wast Rich Beyond All Splendor. But the wording here in verse 9 is wonderful. Work down through it with me. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. So it starts there with the richness of Jesus Christ. Well, what was the richness of Jesus Christ? That God the Son eternally dwelt in heaven with the Father, owner of all things, creator of all things, reigning in splendor and glory from eternity past. There is no richness that compares with the richness of the Son in eternity past. So uh, we can't even fathom when it says he, he was rich. <laughs> That's why the song says, Thou who is rich beyond all splendor. I mean, just can't imagine the richness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, what's it say next? Yet for your sakes he became poor. We know that God the Son came from heaven to earth and then was born as a little baby. We can really see the poorness of Christ in just about every category, from infinitely strong to a weak little baby, from infinitely rich to born in a manger to a poor family, right? from righteous and sinless and holy to become the one who would take the sins of the world upon himself. From perfect fellowship with the Father to enduring God's wrath in our place. To the one with honor above all else to die on the cursed tree. I mean, the the transitions of our Lord for us, the, the lowering of himself, or sometimes what we call the emptying of himself in our behalf, It's incredible. I encourage you, as you think about the grace of God, think specifically about what Jesus Christ did for you. That he, though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, but what's the result of this movement of Christ? That you, through his poverty, might become rich. We studied this a couple of weeks ago. And when we talked about God's work in Christ of reconciliation, you remember talking about the great exchange that God offers us in the gospel. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. That's another way to say he was rich and became poor. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we who were poor with only unrighteousness We're given the righteousness of God, rich in righteousness. That's, I think, the most significant way that God has made us rich in Christ through his poverty. But of course, it doesn't end there. The riches of God's grace to us don't just end with the righteousness he gave us because with that righteousness and forgiveness by faith, we receive peace with God. We receive citizenship in his eternal kingdom. We receive the inheritance of the saints in the light. We become co-heirs of God's grace with Christ. We receive adoption as sons, meaning with all the rights and privileges of the firstborn son. 
I mean, the riches of God's kindness to us are vast because Jesus took our place. He became poor so that we would be made rich. I do need to pause here and invite you to receive the rich, rich grace of God in your life. Maybe you've never heard this gospel story, what Christ has done for you, but this is a gift already paid for, offered to you, and you receive it simply by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's a gift given by faith. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. In fact, that's the whole point. It's by grace through faith. It's undeserved kindness of God. And we simply admit our sin and trust in Jesus as Savior. And our sins are wiped away. And the one who was made poor on our behalf makes us rich by faith. Friend, would you receive the rich, rich grace of God today? If you have received that grace, then let the diligent, faithful generosity of Christ lead you to faithful generosity. This is what Paul's encouraging the Corinthians to do. He looks to Christ, who, do you remember, was faithful to the end, generous to the point of death on our behalf. And so he goes on and encourages the Corinthians to have the same faithful generosity. He says in verse 10, in this I give advice. Remember, this is not a command. This is advice. This is wisdom. It's to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete the doing of it. Just as there was a readiness to desire it, there also may be a completion out of what you have. So he's just encouraging them to follow through in putting the grace of God on display in their lives. Again, it had been about a year before that he'd encouraged them to give, and they were on board. They were excited to help the Jerusalem church, and things just kind of waned and faded a little bit. And now Paul's saying, look, this isn't about the gift. It's not a command. I'm just giving you advice. It's to your advantage to be faithful in your giving. Again, think of that phrase, to your advantage. Paul actually doesn't really desire the gift itself, but rather the rich rewards for them as they give. The process of giving is one where we begin to develop the grace of God in our lives. Remember what he said about the Macedonians in the beginning. Their richness was not in their gift. Their richness was in their generosity. It was the virtue of Christ in them that made them rich. And Paul wants the same thing for the Corinthians. That virtue of Christ that is faithful generosity to finish what they had started, to follow through to their commitments. And so this faithful generosity would be uh, a way that they could again put on display the grace of God in their lives. Uh, One of the, the men in my life that mentored me was a seminary theology professor, Myron Houghton. Some of you know that name, remember him. Uh, One of the ways he impacted me was actually outside of the classroom. He was a very generous person. Uh, Carrie and I got together regularly with him for meal and uh, just other ways that uh, we fellowshiped. And often in our conversations, he was looking for ways to be generous to people. He would ask pointed questions uh, about how, how people are doing. What needs did we know of? 
Hey, had we heard it from so-and-so, and how are they doing, and do they have a lot of bills from their hospital stay? And you know, he didn't say anything specifically about what he was planning to do, though we caught on pretty quickly why he was asking such questions. But he was just diligent in looking for ways to be generous, to be a blessing to people around him. And didn't shed, you know, bring any attention to himself. And in fact, many times the gifts he gave were anonymous. People had no idea it was coming from him. But that diligence in looking for ways to be a blessing, asking questions and seeking out others, rather than thinking about himself and how he would use it for him and his needs and making plans about how he'd use the money that he had in his account, instead, he was looking to the needs of others, thinking about them and diligently seeking out ways to serve others with his finances. Had a powerful impact on me. I don't even know the sizes of the gifts, but I saw the heart of generosity that was looking to be faithful in giving to others because Christ had faithfully given to him. Again, often with giving, we make it about uh, commands or how much am I supposed to give? And Paul's so clear in this section, it's not a command. In fact, here it's just advice. It's to your advantage to be faithful in giving. Well, do I have to? No. (laughs) It's such a beautiful answer. It's It's a wonderful picture to us of the New Testament. The Old Testament was the law. In the New Testament, we live by grace. We're not under law. We are under grace. Grace compels us to live a certain way. It's not about the have-tos of life. It's instead about, well, how has God treated me? And in grateful response, then, how can I put his grace on display in the lives of others? To develop gratitude and a desire to show God's kindness to others. It's the right response to God's grace in your life. Jesus' gracious exchange ought to make us grateful and generous. And he made that exchange when we were unworthy of it. Sometimes we get all wrapped up in whether the one we're giving to is a wise investment. It's interesting to me that that doesn't come up in this passage. Because you remember reading through Acts, even our sermons from the last couple weeks, One of the big divisions in the church was the distinction between Jews and Gentiles. And the Macedonian churches would have had some Jews in them, but they were also largely Gentile churches, that region of being away from Jerusalem, right? Well, imagine, what do you think the church in Jerusalem was mostly made up of? Jews who had trusted in Christ. But in all these examples from Paul, we don't hear anything about their criticism of the Jews. I mean, I could imagine myself thinking the following things. Oh, the Jews in Jerusalem have a need? Well, maybe they should be less picky about what meat they eat. They should buy the cheap stuff. You know, they can get meat that had been offered to idols for 50% off. If they just eat that stuff, they can save tons of money. We've been doing it for years, right? We, we get all wrapped up in, in whether they're worthy of the gift. Do they use their money as well as I use my money? Right? We don't, we don't see any of that in here. And here, this largely Gentile church is giving freely to a largely Jewish church. And, and there's distinctions about culture and ways of handling money and all of this stuff is just not even raised. What? They have a need? Oh, the Lord has been so kind to me. I'd love to give to their need as well. 
Again, they're principles of, of wisdom. In fact, the final section of this text will come to another principle that helps us have discernment and wisdom in giving. Those things are important, but it all starts in the heart. It all starts in the heart. And God's grace overflows in faithful generosity. As we come to the final section here, we're going to see Paul share a principle with the Corinthian believers. And so we'll put it this way for our outline today. God's grace promotes balanced generosity. God's grace promotes balanced generosity. Now he may close with this section because he's already given the example of Jesus Christ. Where where Jesus gave up everything, even dying on the cross, so that we could be rich. Now, there's a time and a place where, where love calls us as well to lay down our lives for the sake of others. But when it comes to financial giving, Paul shares a principle here that's helpful in, in sort of pursuing what we could call balance or equality. Equality is the term that, that Paul uses. Notice what he explains here. First of all, verse 12, for if there is a willing mind, or excuse me, if there is first a willing mind. Now that's what he's talked about already so far, is working on the heart, working on the mind, that I have this understanding of God's grace in my life. Everything I have is the kindness of God in my life. And so my heart is generous, my mind is willing. So that's kind of the foundation. Once those are in place, now he shares this principle. It is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. The first part of the principle is fairly obvious, right? When it comes to being generous, you can't give what you don't have, <laughs> right? So I, I can't promise you I'll give you a million dollars, right? Can't do it, right? Unless I rack up a bunch of credit card bills or something. I don't know. Anyway, right? we can't promise. We can't give what we don't have. And so there's this principle that it needs to be in accord to what God has entrusted to us. That's part of stewardship, isn't it? Right? Everything is the Lord's. And for a time, he gives things to us as stewards of what is his. And so it's really about responsibly sharing the grace of God. Lord, is this, what, is this how much you want me to give? Is this what you want me to give? And so we're not saying, I'll give you everything, stuff I don't even have. Well, we can't promise that. Well, notice how the principle continues to unfold. Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and that you burdened, So here the principle is, well, if the Corinthians, you know, just gave everything they have, then the the Jerusalem saints would be up here, and then the Corinthians would be down here, and and then Paul would just have to do the cycle one more time. So actually, now we need to give back to the Corinthians. They gave too much, and so they don't have enough. Now, in this case, it's about meeting the lack that the Jerusalem church had, so that generally speaking, the believers are all doing okay, right? So Jerusalem had a deficit. Let's get them back up to status quo. The point was not to make them rich, so then now the Corinthians are in a deficit, and now we just have to keep giving back and forth all the time. There's this principle of equality, equality or being balanced. So verse 14 lays it out clearly. But by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. Paul's saying, right now, the Jerusalem church has the lack, and so we're encouraging you to give towards their need. But five years from now, it could be the very opposite, where they have an abundance and we need to help supply your lack. 
looking for, make, just making sure everyone is cared for is the idea. So it's not, not communism or not some socialistic standard here, but rather just that we're trying to meet each other's needs based on the resources that God has given us. And of course, logically, it makes no sense that we would just shift everything we have to one place and then need to shift it all back again, saying, no, hey, we have a little bit of surplus here. They have a need. Let's give from our surplus to their need so that it's, everyone's doing okay. Right? That's the idea. He defends this with a principle from the Old Testament in verse 15. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. You may remember what this is from. This is from God's provision for the Israelites of manna in Exodus chapter 16. You can find a quotation of this in Exodus 16, verses 16 through 18. Here's what's really interesting about this reference it is true. They gathered the manna on a daily basis, and overnight it would actually go bad. That was part of God's design because there was a miracle that would occur on the Sabbath where it would actually last two days so they didn't have to gather on the Sabbath. And God did that for a reason, and part of it is that this provision for everybody, they would go out and gather on a daily basis. And just by nature of human beings, some would be able to gather more, some would gather less, but then what always happened is that everyone had no lack, meaning everyone had everything they needed. And the ones who gathered more could share with the ones who gathered less, and so on and so forth. And so there was this help to one another to make sure everybody had what they needed for that day. But if you go back and study Exodus 16, you see that the real point of the manna was, was that God was the one who was providing. They were to be dependent upon God. They were to look to him for the provision. And God was providing for all of them without partiality, without failure, and they learned to trust him through the provision of the manna. And that principle carries into this text as well. Giving, that generosity, with with balance and with equity, teaches us to depend on the Lord and to trust in his provision. It teaches us to lean on what God has provided as we seek to pattern or imitate his kind of giving as we take care of the needs of one another. God's grace promotes balanced generosity. Uh, was able over Christmas to be with my family. Uh, so there's, there's the five of us, my parents, my sister, and then Carrie and I. And so we had a nice quiet time together, right? Doing a puzzle and all of that typical Christmas stuff. So anyway, my sister and I have a good relationship. Um, but there, there, there was a story that came up while we were there uh, about when, when she entered uh, our world. I was four years old and used to being an only child at that point. Uh, and so m- my mom, of course, brought her home from the hospital as a newborn baby. And, and uh, this was a big transition for our family. And so the story begins just with so lovely, right? I mean, just, I'm a very generous person. So um, I came to this little baby girl and, and uh, my, my sister, so they told me. Uh, and I gave to my sister my favorite stuffed animal, and my blanket. After you're supposed to go, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, it was, okay. So I put those in the crib with her, and, and my mom knew about this. She said, are you sure? Yep, I'm sure. So we tucked it in there with her, and, you know, just all the warm fuzzies. Well, then the next day came, 
And I went back to the crib and I took back my belongings, my favorite stuffed animal and my blankets, and proceeded to go to my mother and say, uh, so mom, how long is she going to be here? <laughs> my generosity had very little endurance, right? One night only, I want this stuff back, and when is she leaving? Well, son, she's not. She's not. Now, we have a great relationship today, and she loves to bring that story up and uh, share that uh, about me. Uh, but I, I wasn't very balanced in my perspective of generosity. I'd given more than I could handle and needed it back the very next day, not being able to, uh, to make it without my favorite stuffed animal and blanket. But God's grace promotes balanced generosity because it, it's not about making ourselves look good. It's not about fear of man where I, I feel like I have to be the savior in somebody else's life. Balanced generosity is generosity that completely trusts God, God's provision. And so it's more about what do I think the Lord might want me to do? Well, he's given these things for me to steward, and I, I do have this little extra right here. I mean, yes, I was hoping to get that news, such and such, but you know what? I think we can be okay going without it, and I'd love to help them with their needs. So maybe we'll give from this portion here sacrifice and, and help meet the need that they have. I think that would please the Lord. You see, it, it's totally dependent on God's provision, where we can even give that way, understanding that, you know what? It's not fully going to meet their need but I know that God will provide for us and God will provide for them and I know there'll be others who want to give to this gift as well. So this balanced generosity is just completely trusting God, dependent on his provision and as, as I have extra, I'm ready and willing to share it knowing that the tables could turn in two weeks and I'll be the one with lack needing to lean on the help of others. And so it really defeats our pride and it defeats our trust in self it conquers our fear of man. It's just kind of this sweet dependence on the fact that all things are from God and he, he wants us to make sure that nobody has lack and that we're helping each other out and okay, Lord, you've been kind to me so I'm happy to give to others. God's grace promotes balanced generosity. It puts on display his perfect provision. It puts on display the fact that he has, he has no partiality. He does not play favorites. His grace is for all. And it reminds us that giving is about the heart. It's about passing along the grace of God. As he has been kind to me, so too I want to be kind to others. It takes into account both the means of the one giving, how much we have, and the need of the others. And yet at the same time, as we saw in the Macedonians, no one is too poor to give. God's grace promotes balanced generosity. Giving is, of course, generated by God's grace to us as we develop just gratitude and thankfulness for the gospel and how God has shown his kindness to us. It's then guided by our desire to please Jesus and to imitate his grace. As Paul points out here, it's, it's giving ourselves to the Lord. Lord, all that I have is yours. What would you have me do to help? And finally, it's sustained by our dependence upon God's provision with that aim of balance, of equality, recognizing that God isn't playing favorites. It's all sourced in him. We all depend on him. He's the giver. He's the provider. And he just wants us to help one another the ways that he has helped us. 
And so it all comes back to the grace of God. Friend, I don't know where you're at today, but I can guarantee that you're in need of God's grace. And I can also guarantee to you that God's grace is sufficient for your needs. It's a promise. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. The Lord Jesus had said those very words to the Apostle Paul, who himself had gone through his times of trial and testing and had learned to depend on the grace of God. And now rejoiced as he saw the grace of God developing generosity in these new believers who were learning what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they were just grateful for God's kindness to them, it spilled over in, yes, small gifts, but rich hearts of generosity. And so may the grace of God be put on display in your life as his kindness to you is seen in your responses of of gratitude, contentment, humility, and a generosity that's just ready to help others as the Lord leads in your life. Father, we thank you for your grace And as we face the stuff of life, as we prepare to head into a new year, may we be a people who are focused on your grace, confident that you go before us, confident that you walk with us every step of the way, confident that your grace is sufficient for every need, and that the same grace that found us and saved us is the grace that will provide for our daily needs and the grace that will lead us home to be with you. We thank you for your grace. And I pray that more and more your grace would be evident and seen in this body of believers, in our love and care for one another, in our gratitude for the gospel, and in our kindness as it spills over into the lives of others. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for being the perfect giver. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.